Why is OZ deal flow increasing and by how much? Find out more next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. And joining me today from his office in Scottsdale, Arizona, is Chris Loeffler, co-founder and CEO of Caliber. Chris, thanks for joining me again. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jimmy. It's good to see you again. And it's good to see you here in the hallways of Caliber in lovely Scottsdale, Arizona. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in town for the Adisa conference this week. So getting around town a little bit, finding some Opportunity Zone friends in and around the greater Phoenix area. So happy to be visiting at your office today. It seems like we talk every spring. We had our first interview at the SALT conference way back in spring of 2019, yep. pre-COVID. Things were gearing up pretty nicely for the Opportunity Zone industry. And then we spoke again last April of 2020. And that was, I think it was my first or one of my first post-COVID episodes that I did. And, and we talked about how COVID was affecting Opportunity Zone marketplace and Opportunity Zone investors. So now we're in May of 2021. And we're starting to pull out of COVID. So I want our episode today and our conversation to focus on that new outlook. So first question to you, Chris, is what was your outlook like a year ago, spring of 2020? And what is it like now for the Opportunity Zone Marketplace, spring of 2021, coming out of COVID? Well, you think about it almost as a metaphor. When we were doing that interview, I was at home I was probably wearing sweatpants and talking to you from my home office and then going out and walking around in my backyard so that my toddler could sleep during nap time while I was doing business, right? And now here we are back in the office with two humans that are actually, don't tell the CDC, but I think we're four feet apart from each other. (laughs) And it's kind of going from dark to light. In February of 2020, we were so geared up for a huge year. We had a lot of deal flow coming in. We were expecting to at least double the capital raise from the prior year. We finally had all of our rules and regs from Opportunity Zone Investing done, and and we knew exactly what to do with the money. And so, and then of course, COVID hit, and and the country went through a really tough period of time. And you know, when you're an investor trying to figure out whether you can get toilet paper and how you're going to get your groceries, the last thing you're thinking about is how to invest for ten years and avoid taxes. And so, you saw capital flow fall off the face of the earth, and I'm sure many of your guests have said the same thing. But for us as investors on the other side, once the capital comes into our fund, we then have to make smart decisions about what we're going to put the money into. And we didn't know what to do either. We didn't know what to buy. We didn't know it was going to be a good deal or a bad deal coming out of this thing. And we didn't know what was safe and what was not safe. And so we pulled out of the market in March immediately. We dropped every contract we had and and every deal we had, which was expensive, of course, because we'd spent a lot of time and money on pursuit costs trying to buy these projects. And then we re-entered the market back in October of last year. So it's now May, almost, uh, what, six, nine months down the road. And we've seen the amount of projects in our pipeline go from about $500 million to probably about 2 to $3 billion worth of real estate, which is about a five times increase from where we were at a year ago. So the short answer is things are going great. I mean, <laughs> I think investors are looking for some way to avoid capital gains taxes, obviously. And uh, we are finding really great places to deploy the capital. Yeah. So that's incredible deal flow that you're yeah. seeing 
coming out of COVID now. Talk to me, you said you're in the billions of dollars now in terms of deal flow, good deals that you're seeing in Opportunity Zones. Can you drill into some specific projects that you like that you're working on? Yeah, you know, I think it's been a really diverse mix. So about a month ago, we closed on the construction of a private school. So it's sort of like a build a suit deal where we acquired the land. The school is actually an investor and wrote a lease for us. And then we're going to construct the building that they need. And then they eventually buy it off of us. So it's a great kind of wrapped up project and pretty easy to, to execute on once what they need and know where you're building it and that kind of stuff. And because of that, we're also looking at multiple additional school deals. And a school is a great opportunity zone investment because the school needs you to come in, develop the project, put in the capital, but then they eventually want to own their buildings in most cases. So it's kind of a nice combination. And so that's your exit strategy there is you sell it back to the yeah, school. Yeah, right there. Do you have to wait 10 years to sell it back to the school? You or? don't have to. It's okay. really up to it's up to the way you structure it. We actually structured this deal so that we could sell earlier and then redeploy the capital into a new deal. We'll take some interim gains, but we actually get to get a compounding effect on the return on investment. So by the time we exit the 10-year period, if we roll that gain two or three times, we're going to have a bigger, bigger exit and a much bigger tax benefit on the backside. So, and the way your fund is structured when you exit within the fund, it doesn't restart the clock for your LP investors. No, I mean, that's the benefit of investing in a mixed fund with active management because we can follow the guidelines, redeploy the capital within 12 months. And in real estate investment, more often than not, after the first three to five years, you've captured the majority of the upside in the deal. And if you don't cycle that capital, you're not going to see the type of return that you could get over a 10-year period if you were to turn that money at least twice. So we're doing that with this particular deal, and we probably will do that with these types of deals on a relatively regular basis because back to the original point, we have good deal flow. But a school accomplishes such great things for the community. It accomplishes such great things for the investors it's great for the banks because it typically brings in CRA credits and other things that banks enjoy from a lending perspective. And it also captures a major trend coming out of COVID that parents are looking at school choice and they're looking at, gee, maybe I do want to send my kids somewhere where I'm not going to be subject to the whims of teachers unions and other things like that. So I think that that's a big trend in the country and we're on top of it. That's great. So is it just the one private school that you're building right now? Yeah, right now, just the one that we, we started. And then we are engaged with a group that has 50 schools across the country that would like us to build another roughly 12 for them. So when we do a project and we learn how to develop a school and build it appropriately, we then want to leverage that knowledge to do it multiple times. And in the fund format that we use, this mixed asset fund where we can raise capital over periods of time, it allows us to do that. But aside from that, I mean, we're getting into... We're building, I think, what will be a three to $500 million corporate innovation campus under the guise of the new smart cities rules that are out there in the world of sustainable development. So that's kind of a cool deal. And where's that development? We think it's going to be here in Scottsdale, Arizona, definitely in the Phoenix MSA. We have a site in Scottsdale that we're targeting, but it's just all the new technology around sustainability, around smart cities, IoT, that kind of stuff. We're incorporating into this campus. That's going to be an interesting project. We've got a big medical development that we're working on also in Arizona with uh, some, some medical office buildings that we're building, some surgery centers. We did a behavioral health hospital in Phoenix as well. So I think that coming out of what we saw in COVID, we saw strength in a couple of categories in real estate investment. 
Multifamily was obvious. Industrial was another obvious one. Medical, that was a really good one that still kept that office tenant, and we saw strength in that. And then things like entertainment, education, et cetera, as long as it had a outdoor component to it, seems to be a good play going forward. So I think that there's we're going to see a big travel boom. I think we're going to see a big entertainment boom. I think we're going to see people, like I said before, pushing towards maybe alternative choices for education for their kids. And we want to be on top of all that. Yeah, maybe we could zoom out a minute here and talk about what your investment thesis is overall yeah. at Caliber and which geographies you like to invest in specifically for those who may have missed our first two conversations. Right. Maybe we can just review a little bit what Caliber does, what Caliber is all about. Yes. Opportunity Zone is one of the things that we do. It's one of our funds, but we also have a development fund that is not Opportunity Zone focused. We do core real estate investing, which is basically investing in income producing assets. And then we do some private lending as well. So for an investor, what we've designed at Caliber is you can come to one place, build trust once, and then depending on what it is that you are trying to accomplish with your investments or what it is that you want to, what your goals are, we'll have an option for you. If you'd like to invest project by project, we've got that. And if you like to invest in a fund format, we've got that. And then we focus on a region that we've sort of cobbled together, which is a, a combination of states in the Southwest and the Mountain West region, specifically Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Nevada, Utah, and Idaho. We find that cities like Boise and Phoenix, Denver, Austin, San Antonio are all the attractive places where people want to live. And that was true prior to COVID, and it's gotten even more true today. And regionally, we can have enough market expertise where we're, we're really, really close to the ground, and we know the projects, we know the city council members, we know the mayors, we know the people involved and the players involved, and we can really have, I think, that big fish in the small pond effect, but at the same time, focus on a region that is small enough that we don't overextend ourselves. So part of our strategy has always been to be they call it place-based in this opportunity zone incentive where you go into a specific area and you figure out what does that area need and you build that. We were doing that prior to it having a name, which is basically understand your market, understand what makes sense to invest in and then build it. And as far as a return profile goes, it's basically the same thing for every deal. We want to double the value of our equity every five years, no matter what we invest into. Sometimes that's kind of a two and a half times, three times number. If it's a more risky type product, sometimes it's 1.75 if it's a really safe product. But at the end of the day, it all blends down to a 2x equity multiple. And so we look for that uh, across every project we ever do. And if you do that twice in a 10-year period, you've got a 4x return on the investment. So that's really important for opportunities on investing because the main incentive of the tax program is you don't pay capital gains taxes on the future growth. So it's much more important to invest to grow the value of the equity than it is to invest in like core real estate where you're just looking for a rental return. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to revisit that in a minute in terms of uh, tax-free growth. We'll talk about what Biden has proposed or is proposing and, and some of the math there, how that changes the opportunities. But first, I want to ask you about your fund. How many projects, let's talk about your fund specifically for sure. a minute. How many projects is your fund going to ultimately invest in your qualified opportunity fund? I think that depends on capital flow. We designed it to max out at 500 million raise. We've raised about 85 million to date. I think we would have raised 
probably close to 200 million by now had we not had COVID. Sure. But, and we certainly have the capacity to deploy the capital. I think we'll probably get it to about that 200 number and then we'll probably cap it out and do fund two if there's an opportunity to do fund two. And in that case, we use about 50% leverage. So you're looking at about $400 million worth of projects. So how many projects does that turn into? Well, on average, we're doing 20 to $30 million projects. So you kind of divide 400 million by 25 million and it's like what? however much that is. Uh, <laughs> Someone get us the calculator. Sounds like it's probably about 15 to 20 yeah, projects. Yeah, about 15 to 20 like projects is yeah. probably about right. But in some cases, a project for us is like 10 buildings. So yeah, okay. we've got about a $25 million investment in downtown Mesa, Arizona, which is roughly 10 buildings. And so it could be anywhere between 30 to 100 buildings at the end of the day, because mm-hmm. uh, some of these things are smaller. But that's about where I think it'll land. So as an investor, right now, you would own your equitable share of the six major projects that we have in the fund, which is, again, roughly 15 buildings at this point in time. So when you're coming into our fund, you actually get to know what you're going to own for a portion of your capital. And then you've got a pretty good understanding going forward on what it is that we're going to buy. Right. So the investors coming to your fund, they're really buying into your expertise, your team, and your strategy. That's right. There aren't you haven't identified all the detail, all of the deals that you're going to deploy capital into. And you may end up, the, the six or seven that you've already identified, those may turn over. You may cycle out of those and into new assets over you know a 10-year holding period. Is that right? That's right. Because I think that's the right way to invest. Because at the end of the day, what does 10 years from now look like? I can't answer that question. I don't think you can either. And I don't think anyone can intelligently. I mean, there's some futurists out there that make a living off of that type of stuff. But at the end of the day... Well, even 18 months ago, nobody could have foreseen COVID, right? Who would have known that? Who would have known prior to COVID that there was going to be a major reversal in the trend of people wanting to be walkable and in denser and denser areas? And now there's a major return to the suburbs. Who would have known? I never would have predicted that in a million years. And had we focused all of our investing in Manhattan, as an example, we would be getting crushed right now. So you just don't know how the world is going to change. And so you have to be a little bit more flexible with your decision making. And so that's what we've designed within the product. But at the same time, investors want to know, what am I going to get into? And if they can look at the projects we currently have, they can see the pipeline, they can see our track record. They know that we're going to consistently get them into projects that will deliver a return that's attractive. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's shift gears now. Let's talk about attitudes from investors. We talked about how your deal flow has changed. It's nearly 5 x since from pre-COVID to COVID. We talked about some of the projects that you're investing in. I want to hear about the attitudes from investors. How have investor attitudes changed over the last 12 plus months, pre-COVID, COVID, and now coming out of COVID? What are you hearing from your investors? I think some of the big shifts that we're seeing is that now the professional services community is getting highly engaged. So I would define that as investment advisors, tax planners, lawyers, et cetera. And they were interested prior to COVID and they were starting to approve these types of investments on their platforms in in, in whatever way that they do. But then when, of course, the the pandemic hit, the motivation to continue to, to explore the product as an investment choice for their clients kind of fell apart. So we're seeing that come back strong. We're seeing a lot of capital coming in from investment advisors in particular who are looking at selling off stock portfolios and shaving those gains and, and protecting them essentially on a go-forward basis. So we're seeing quite a bit of that. We're getting a lot of flow from hedge funds. We're getting a lot of flow from just all kinds of interesting sources of capital that we hadn't seen before. On an individual investor basis, I think that 
individual investors long before their advisors came to the conclusion this was probably something that was interesting to them. But now there's enough information out there from people like yourself and others where I think there's a lot of investors that are coming to us pre-educated, knowing what the program is, how it could benefit them. And now they're just trying to make selections on who are the best sponsors to invest with. So that's been great because I think the first year and a half of this, we yeah, spent so, a lot so, of time. Yeah, <laughs> So much of 2018 and 2019 was just focused on, wait, how does this incentive yeah. work? What's going on? And just having to educate investors yeah. and their advisors over and over and over again. Now it was seemed like going into 2020, people had a yeah. pretty firm grasp of what the OZ deal was all about. But then COVID tanked everything, and well, now lot, we're finally pulling out of it. I a feel. lot of them had a lot of time sitting at home in 2020 researching stuff about their finances, so they spent a lot of time doing that as well. So we're seeing a return to, for investors, we're seeing a huge return back to the product. And I think that we're seeing large check sizes, a lot of interest, and a lot of folks that do want to see that combination of financial return and community impact. And so we're trying to display both and show folks that, yeah, you can build a school and make money at the same time. And what do your investors like about you specifically? What what makes you unique at Caliber, what you're doing? We're a tweener. We have an institutional infrastructure here, so they can feel safe investing in our fund. You know, the fund's audited by Deloitte. We've got a really great team that manages the product. We've got other sources of revenue beyond this fund. So we're not trying to generate outsized fees that are outside the market or something like that. So we've got that institutional infrastructure that they know that we're not going to mess up their tax incentive and we're, we're going to manage the, the capital appropriately, especially when you're making a 10-year investment that oftentimes for investors is seven figures in size. But then we are still on the ground, involved in deals. Almost every project we acquire is off market. We're still at that that really close to the project entrepreneurial deal platform. And what that creates for the client is a much better return, right? You could go to Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs and they're wonderful institutions and they do amazing things for their clients. But if you're going to invest in their OZ fund, it's going to be kind of a fund of funds. It's going to be layers of management between you and the, and the deals and that affects the return. And so you get a little bit of both with us. And I think people feel confidence with that and they know that we're going to be there five and 10 years from now, taking care of the project, delivering what we said we were going to do, and then giving them a good experience. And at first, you're like, that's a great tax incentive, and I can buy some cool real estate, and I'm going to make a good, good return. That sounds awesome. But three years from now, when you have to have, and you're still sitting on the investor calls, and you're still relying on these people to deliver for you for the next seven years beyond that, you got to really assess, do I like these folks? <laughs> do I trust them? So it's been a really good experience being close to the investors and giving them the opportunity to do exactly what we're doing, come in, meet, explore the projects, do property tours and do that kind of stuff. But at the same time, give them that, like I said, institutional quality experience. No, that's great. What are you hearing from your investors about the proposed tax changes? Are they concerned about Biden and his administration potentially raising capital gains, tax rates, possibly to the high 30s, low 40s. I mean, we're talking about some pretty big numbers there. How does that change the math on investing in opportunity zones? Yeah, I think that's the biggest, I think everybody's concerned about that for obvious reasons. He started out with, I think his proposed rate of 39%, which was very Trumpian of him, if you think about it, because I don't think it's going to end up at 39%, but he's a negotiating tactic. Yeah, he definitely swung for the fences there. So these things all tend to go in the same direction. You take the current rate, 
you take the proposed rate, you cut it in half and everybody meets in the middle, right? So chances are the rate's going from 20 to 30%, right? Yeah. <laughs> so everybody kind of is, has started to circle around that number. And then the question becomes, okay, if I could take a 20% tax hit today, why don't I just take the tax hit and pay the taxes? Or I could avoid taxes on my opportunities and investment, but I might have to pay at a 30% rate five years from now at this point in time, maybe five and a half years from now. So what's the best move? And the answer is do the math. If you just run the model and you assume, I think, a reasonable growth rate, which we assume about 8% a year in annual growth in the value of the investment, which is actually below what we expect to return on our fund, but I think it is a good model to compare to like a stock market investment or something like that, then you're going to see that, yeah, if the tax rates go up and you have to pay a higher rate five years from now, your return on investment is affected slightly. But the fact that you get to see significant growth in the value of your investment and then you don't have to pay that next round of taxes on that growth at that same high rate, it ends up negating most of the effect of the growth of the tax rate. So you're still seeing that in an OZ investment as compared to a traditional investment at an 8% annual growth rate, you're making almost three times the ROI on the OZ investment with the same rate of return underlying. And it's all based on the tax effect of avoiding taxes and avoiding paying future rounds of taxes down the road. And of course, being able to invest that capital gain that you had in full for five years before you actually have to pay those taxes. Right. In many ways, it makes that exclusion incentive much more attractive, I think. It does. It, it really does. If you run the math out and if you think, okay, if they raise taxes to 30% today, well, I mean, look at the spending going on. Look at the debt that we have. Do you think it's going to stay at 30 or do you think it's going to go to 35 or 40? I think it's probably going to keep going up. And so you're getting a bigger and bigger incentive the bigger that that rate goes up because of the, the, the protection on the growth side. And then, of course, there's the other side of the equation, which is, well, they spend all this money and they issue all this debt. What does that do to the economy? Inevitably, it starts to inflate prices. And so we're seeing that in lumber, we're seeing that in labor, we're seeing that in oil, we're seeing that in milk, we're seeing that in everything that we do, we're seeing that in rents, we're seeing that in wages, we're seeing it across the board. And as you start to see that, what do you need as an investor? You need a hedge against inflation. And there's gold, there's income producing real estate. Those are number one and number two, historically speaking, is the best hedges against inflation in the world. Maybe Dogecoin. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how the coins work out. Dogecoin but, took a hit over the weekend. Okay. Well, there you go. So it's a little volatile for yeah. an inflation hedge, but yeah. um, that's a speculative asset. Yes. So I think income property has always been a clear winner in terms of a hedge against inflation. And you're going to see that you're combining a really great inflation hedge with a really great tax incentive that avoids paying taxes on the value growth. And if you think the value growth in real estate is going to come from inflation, you're probably right. If lumber is going to go up and continue to go up and other things like that go up, all real estate is, is one big basket of commodities. And whatever it costs to build it, the labor, the nails, the lumber, the glue, you name it, all of that stuff as it inflates, that's what makes it so that your building that you bought for $10 million today, you can sell for $20 million in 10 years that is also going to drive your growth in the value of your investment and your tax incentive. That's a good way of looking at it. Yep. Well, we made it through almost 140 episodes of the Opportunity Zones podcast before we had a Dogecoin mention. So thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks for joining me again. We'll have to do this again, maybe in six to 12 months, get another update. Uh, before we go today, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Caliber? 
Yeah. So if you go to our website, which is caliberco.com, caliber spelled like caliber, co.com, you can find out about our business as a whole. You can learn about all the different funds that we have to offer. And then you can start to dig into our Opportunity Zone Investment Fund. If you join our newsletter, you'll get our propaganda. We promise not to spam you too much, but we also include things like blog blog posts and things like that to just try to kind of keep you abreast of our view of the world. And, and hopefully that will help you as an investor as you grow. Yeah. You guys are doing a great job there. I appreciate your insights today, Chris. Thanks for joining me again. For our listeners out there today, I will, as always, have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that Chris and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to link to caliberco.com and I'll link to their email newsletter sign up as well. Chris, again, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to see you. You too. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.